Good morning, everyone. If you could, go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And today we will be on verses 11 through verse 21. And just to kind of catch us up. Let me get there myself. Uh, just to catch everyone up, well, we'll get our sound adjusted a little bit. Uh, John chapter 9, we had, uh, we had the man who was born blind, who was healed by Jesus. His disciples came by and said, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus says, neither, but it was for the glory of God. We saw that that man was healed, and it's the first record of someone being uh, born blind and healed. And then we see, of course, the, the people gathered around him, take him to the Jewish leaders, and the Jewish leaders then uh, begin to question him. And the man doesn't know anything. He was blind. He was told to, to go do this. He comes back and he can see. So he doesn't know much. But through that, we saw his increase of the knowledge of Jesus and willingness to obey him. He goes from acknowledging him as a man to a righteous man to a prophet. And at the end of chapter 9, we see him bowing down and worshiping him and calling him Lord. So acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ. He is Lord. He is God. On the opposite side of that, we saw Israel's leaders, which in chapter 10, Jesus refers to them as shepherds, do the opposite of all of that. Instead of worshiping Christ, instead of acknowledging him as Lord or even a prophet, they continue to insult him. They continue to mock him. They continue to disbelieve. So in chapter 10, we see where Jesus is now calling out those Jewish leaders as bad shepherds. So this is a common analogy in the Old Testament. We looked at several of them last week in discipleship time and our time here, uh, here in the, the worship service as well. But it's common in the Old Testament that God will refer to himself as the shepherd and refer to Israel as his sheep. And here, Jesus begins to call out the, the leaders who are kind of sub-shepherds, you might say, of Israel the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees, etc., and calls them out. And he says they are not nurturing, they're not healing, uh, they're doing the opposite of that. They're like thieves and robbers, right? And we also spent some time last week looking at how this is a fulfillment of what happens, what was prophesied over in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, God calls out the false shepherds of Israel. He calls them out and literally... It is just, just calling them out. They're in it for selfish game, gain. They're not nurturing. They're not caring. They're not guiding the sheep. Uh, in fact, they're feeding on the sheep. And just over and over, so what is the solution going to be? God is going to send his own shepherd. And that's what we're going to be looking more into today and next week as well. Um, let's go on down and look at verse 11 through 21 today. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He, flee, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my own life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews. Because of these words, many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why, listen to him. Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed, but, a, but by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you are indeed the great shepherd of our souls. You are our creator, you are our maker, Lord, you are ruler of all things, and you are indeed sovereign. Uh, we acknowledge that you have made us, you have created us, that we are your sheep. And Lord, help us to see the point of this passage today. Help us to gather it in and to focus on it, that in order to be part of the flock, the, the, 
that is shepherded by Jesus Christ, that his blood is going to atone for, there must be faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to see that. Help us to take comfort in that, knowing that our great shepherd cares for us, loves us, tends to us, and is the true great shepherd. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, if we go back to verse 11, let's just begin there very quickly with the first sentence. I am the good shepherd. This is another one of the I am statements uh, taking from Exodus 3, where Moses is given the name of God to tell Israel who has sent him, the three signs that accompany that, the supernatural signs. He goes to Israel and tells them, I am has sent me. So this is be the official name of God that God gave to Moses. I am who I am, or tell them, I am has sent you. So Jesus takes that on here. In the English language, it comes across as a very typical sentence. It just looks like, I am the good shepherd. If you have, a, have any kind of device that can help you with language, you can go to BibleHub.com for free. Put that on your phone, and you can see the breakdown. You will see that this is that, 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 that statement of I am. He is pulling from the name of God, and he's putting it with the good shepherd. Now, this is important, a very, very definitive statement that he starts off with here. And this is pulling from, we are going to, believe it or not, turn around in your Bibles quite a bit today. Uh, go to Ezekiel 34. We were there last week, but I just want to hone in on the last couple of verses we looked at. Ezekiel 34, verse 21 through 23. Ezekiel 34 is the prophecy against Israel's shepherds. And this prophecy is specifically against those shepherds that were shepherding at the time when God would send the Messiah, which we get to the book of John, chapter 10. This is it. It's happening right now. So the shepherds were not shepherding. What is God going to do? He's going to send the one true shepherd. So look at this, verse 21. Because you push with side and shoulder, talking to the false shepherds, and thrust at all the weak with your horns, till you have scattered them abroad. Pause right there just a moment. Let me remind you that in chapter 9, what did they do to the man born blind after he was healed? They kicked him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated him. So you have a, a one in the flock of Christ, one who has been healed, one who has seen Jesus for who he truly is. And what do the false shepherds do? They gored him. They, they horned, they get him out of the flock, all right? So we see these things happening literally over here in John 9 and John 10. Let's continue on, verse 22. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between the sheep and the sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd. If you're a highlighter and underliner, that's a good spot to do so. My servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. So not only was, is Jesus the good shepherd sent by God to care for his sheep, this is all speaking of the Messiah that is going to come to feed the, she feed the sheep, but he is also going to be God. And here you see that he is going to come. He, that Ezekiel, God calls him through Ezekiel, my servant David. We looked at that last week. David had been long dead by this point. So how can the servant David come? Obviously, this is in line with 2 Samuel seven fourteen, the prophecy that the Messiah would come through the lineage of David. All right. So when you see something like this, my servant David, not referring back to King David, but referring to the one that is coming through his lineage, okay? But in this, we see that God is going to sit over them one shepherd, and it's going to be through the servant David, and he shall feed them, he shall be their shepherd. And God is going to do this. Look over, and y'all look at this in discipleship, but just look briefly at Psalm 23. Here's one of, the, one of the places, and there's many of them that we could go to. We're not going to go to all of them, but we do want to see the connection, at least a little bit here, that in the Old Testament, the true shepherd is always God. He is the great shepherd, the true shepherd, the good shepherd. He never fails at his shepherding task, all right? There are sub-shepherds, uh, those that the Jewish leadership, uh, but they can be good or they can be bad. And at the time Christ comes, they are not good. They are false shepherds. But look at this. Psalm 23, 1 through 4. The Lord is my shepherd, David says. All right, so who is his shepherd? It is the Lord. It is God. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in great pa green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you probably noted last week, or hopefully you did, as you went over this and talked about some of the questions, like, this is a beautiful psalm. And not only is this what David could say, but this is what you could say personally. Now, the Lord, the God of this universe, is your shepherd. And he cares for you truly, takes care of you, of you feeds you, waters you, right? Even as you think on these things, you think of the, the previous chapters as we go through John, where Jesus is comparing himself to, to the rock that must be drunk of, to comparing himself to the manna, the bread from heaven that must be ate of. All of this is pointing to Jesus Christ, and that he is the great shepherd that is going to come. But beautiful uh, chapter, of course. Great comfort is found here, because a lot of times we think of the church, the sheep, as a large body, which is fine, but you also don't want to just look at the forest, you want to look at, look, at, look at the tree. You don't want to just see the flock, you want to look at the sheep. And you are that sheep, right? So the, a lot of this as we're going through this, all of this as we're going through this, is not just the universal church, but it's, it's, it's you as well. So read over these today as we go through these passages and acknowledge that this is God, my shepherd. And you look back at how David is saying this, this is, he is going to lead me, uh, and he is going to take care of me. He cares for me. The great shepherd is your shepherd. All right? So with this passage, Psalm 23 and others, we see that the Lord is compared to the shepherd. Now, in John chapter 10 there, verse, verse 11, uh, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he combines these two terms. So he brings in the name of God from Exodus chapter 3, the I am statement, and then he also brings in the shepherd uh, uh, typology of the Old Testament, that type, and combines them. So this is, this is a very clear, definitive statement that Jesus is saying he is God, he is the great shepherd that was, that was talked of in the Old Testament by the prophets as God. He is the great shepherd that is to come in Ezekiel 24, and he is not just a man, he is God in the flesh. Um, look at this passage, Matthew 2, 3 through 6. You don't have to hold your spot anywhere today except for John 10. So if you're, if you're losing fingers in a minute, they're all hidden in, you can let go of Ezekiel 34. Uh, Matthew 2, 3 through 6 is interesting. It's one of those passages that comes up oftentimes in December. As many times there's an emphasis on the birth of Jesus. And a lot of times we emphasize the kingship of Jesus in this passage. But today I want you to look at that and not just see the kingship of him, but to look at something else here. So Matthew 2, verse 3 through 6, and you guys will remember this, but they had come looking for the king according to the stars. They could see that a king, king had been born, and they were coming looking for him. Uh, Herod was troubled by this, of course. And let's, let's pick up there. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler, that's often emphasized, but look at what this says, who will shepherd my people Israel. So here you're getting this great emphasis from, and look who's doing this. This is the scribes, and, and these are the people that had studied the passages, the chief priests at that time. They knew where the Christ was to be born. Did they gather up all their stuff and go look for him after stating this prophecy? No, we have no record of that. Instead, we have, have these, these uh, other men who are not, not of Israel at all who come look for him and go find the Christ. But my point in sharing this passage today is that, that Matthew is pulling this from where? He's pulling this from the prophets. This is a fulfilled prophecy. He's uh, pulling it from Micah. So turn with me to Micah chapter 5, 2 through 4. Very hard little book to find. First one there gets extra coffee today. All right. Micah chapter 5, 2 through 4. Do, do not be afraid to use your table of contents. Micah chapter 5, 2 through 4. 
Matthew pulls from Micah. And and this the details are here, but again, I want you to pay attention and focus also on this shepherding aspect where he's pulling from. So we knew that they knew that Christ had to be born in Bethlehem. That is the fulfillment of the prophecy. It was a tiny little town. Uh, but also we see that Matthew is making the point that he is ruler, but he's also shepherd. And this is pulling from all these Old Testament types, that God is the great shepherd. Look at verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she, is who, she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. So again, we see this shepherding aspect, that this was to be a common, common uh, aspect, a common title, a common job description of the Messiah that is to come. But what you often find is you read what the Jewish leadership wanted, they did not want to be shepherded. They did not want anyone guiding them they were their own guides, right? Jesus called them blind guides, even. That they were leading, they were blind, and they're leading others blindly. They didn't want a shepherd, they wanted a king. And they wanted a king to do exactly what they wanted that king to do. And we'll look at this, this more next week as well. But they were defining the Christ, pulling over just the definitions they wanted, and that's what they wanted him to accomplish. They wanted the Messiah to come to kick out the Romans, to get their place back, and for him to rule and to reign, and for them to prosper right here, right now. So when Jesus comes, and it's not the Christ that they envision, they just say, you're wrong, you're not the Christ. Because we've redefined the Christ in his job description and what we want him to accomplish. Shepherding, we don't need your shepherding. We're good. It's what they think. But obviously, they're not. All right, look, look back at John chapter 10, verse 11. We'll get to the uh, second part there, verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. All right, we'll stop there. Uh, Jesus is obviously the true shepherd who sacrifices his life for the sheep, loves the sheep so much that he will die for them, this is all given in direct opposition of what Ezekiel says about the shepherds at the time the Messiah would come and what Jesus has said about the shepherds in the previous verses here. All right? So they see the wolf, and what do they do? They flee. They see the danger, they flee. Jesus is going to lay his life down for the sheep. And shepherding was not an easy vocation. Oftentimes we think of shepherding as, as we don't know enough about it these days, whereas in their culture, shepherds were everywhere. But sometimes we might think that shepherds had a very easy, dainty job, and we just picture in our mind these nice, fluffy white sheep, and it's uh, it just nothing much to do, right? But if we go back just a little bit in our minds and think about who was one of the greatest shepherds in the Old Testament, who really stands out, there are many, uh, uh, the, the patriarchs and, and that were involved in shepherding, but one stands out, and that's David, which is interesting because David is a type of Christ. He is not literally Christ, but he's a type of Christ, right? Uh, Christ is the greater servant, David. But you see a lot of shadows there that, are, that become greater in Jesus. But look at 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37. I know it's going to be familiar to you, this passage, but just look at it again. 1 Samuel 17. 34 through 37. Keep flipping. I want to hear those pages flipping. Don't give up yet. Don't give up. It's always better if you read it yourself also. Much better chance of understanding and comprehending and storing it away. 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37. Here we see where David is before Paul and David wants to go kill the great Philistine. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, speaking of himself, 
And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, notice he did not flee, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Do you feel the macho-ness in this passage? I mean, this is amazing. I mean, this is a shepherd. So we're not, well, so get that out of your mind, the soft, like, like weakling shepherd, right? With those little white fluffy sheep do nothing. Now you read back over this and David's like, I mean, he, he is killing lion, he's killing bear. And then one comes after him. What does he do? He does not flee and leave the sheep to, to be eaten by him. He grabs him literally with his hand by the beard and strikes him. This, I mean, this is, how do you do such a thing? I don't even know. Is he talking about punching him with his fist? It sounds like it. Is he grabbing her? But he's, he's literally battling these, these lions and bears by his hands. He is not timid. And he says, hey, this Philistine, it's just going to go down just like the others did. Let me at him, right? So this is the battling, fighting shepherd. And uh, so you see a lot of similarities here with David because David will be king. David is also a great shepherd as well. Jesus is the greater David who is king who is also the great shepherd as well. There's lots of similarities, but of course there will be differences as well. Uh, David here speaks of being, being brave and being willing to risk his life to save the sheep, uh, but Jesus is going to be different in that he'll go beyond that. He will not risk his life to save his sheep. He will fully, intentionally allow himself to be killed to save his sheep. So you see that, that there, are, there is a type here, but yet it's going to be different. It's going to be even greater. So that Jesus doesn't just risk it, he actually intentionally lays down his life to save his sheep. Now, look back at verse 11 and 12 in John chapter 10. And uh, interesting, very interesting point here that I encourage you to gather your mind around. Um, who is Jesus going to die for according to verse 11 and verse 12? Uh, read it again. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the, the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. So here we find out that Jesus is going to die for his sheep. Uh, does Jesus die for all sheep, everyone, or a particular group of sheep? Jesus clearly says that he dies for these sheep. He dies for his sheep. So who are his sheep? Uh, this is something that's going to come up a lot in chapter 10. But it also comes up, I think you can pull these things together. Look over at John 6, 37 through 39. Jesus is going to die, lay down his life for his sheep. It is a specific group, a specific body of sheep, of people, you could say. In verse 37 through 39, we've gone over this multiple times. It'll come up, I believe, next week as well. Uh, All that the Father gives me, Jesus says, will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So this, what he refers to as the sheep, his sheep that he's going to lay, his, lay down his life for, that he's going to die for, in John chapter 10, it's, this is the same body of people that is referred to back over here in John 6, 37. The Father is going to give to the Son. They are all going to go to the Son, and the Son is going to raise them up, and that Jesus will never cast them out. And we've noted this before, that this is a 100% handoff. The Father gives to the Son. How many of them go to the Son? All of them go to the Son. How many will be raised up? All of them. So that Jesus' blood, who is he going to die for? He is going to die for the them, the, those that the Father has given to him. These are his sheep, as is mentioned multiple times in the New Testament. This is his church that he is going to die for. You could name the 
the flock of sheep, the church. All right? Look over at how Paul expresses the same truth. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. In this passage, Paul is leaving Ephesus. And it's an interesting passage because he refers to those the overseers uh, as shepherds here that are going to be overseeing and shepherding and elding that uh, church. But look what he says in Acts 20, verse 28. He tells them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So here, Paul, picking up on that same vernacular that Jesus was using, says, pay attention to yourselves and all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So in this passage, we see that all the flock is synonymous with the church of God, and synonymous with those he obtained with his own blood. So the sheep, the flock of God, is referred to here as the church of God. Now, did Jesus die for those who are not a part of the church of God, who are not a part of all the flock? Uh, the answer would be no, because or else they, everyone would be his. But look, look, at, look at the end of verse 28, which he obtained with his own blood. So this goes great with John 10, John 12 and 10, chapter 10, chapter 10 verse 11, 12 through 13, that Jesus is going to lay down his life for his sheep. In chapter 20 of 28 and verse 28 here in Acts, Jesus is dying for all the flock. These are his sheep. It is also referred to as the church of God. Also, these are the ones that he has obtained. He owns them as the great shepherd. He has obtained them. How? By his blood. So, Jesus has obtained the flock, died for the flock, and they are his possession. Now, we say the church of God here, just, just to make sure there's no uh, uh, confusion, obviously there is a denomination called the church of God. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the church universal, all believers of all time, all right? So that's who he is dying for. Look what Paul says of this uh, very similarly, but look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. And a great passage here as far as husbands loving your wives and the, the, the great uh, goal that we should have in mind is, as married men are loving their wives, but also there might be something here that you haven't noticed before and it would be still on this particular atonement or limited atonement, uh, however you want to refer to that as. If you stick to the L and TULIP, you might stick, stay, say limited atonement. Other people say particular redemption or specific atonement. The point is that Jesus has atoned for his sheep. He has paid the price for his flock. All right? Look how Paul refers to this. The same truth here in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, who did Christ give himself up for? It was the her. It was the church, right? And what is the purpose? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or such, a, such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So, here we have again this truth. Who does Jesus die for? He dies for the church. The same thing Paul says in Acts 20, verse 28. Same thing that Jesus says over here in, in John uh, 10, 12, and 13. He is laying his life down for his sheep. He is laying his life down, shedding his blood, obtaining them by his blood. All right? And if you look at verse 27 of that Ephesians 5, he is going to present the church to himself without blemish. Without spot, without wrinkle. What's that mean? Sins have been paid for, 100%. How are sins paid for? By the blood of Jesus Christ, right? He dies on the cross, receives the wrath of God for our sins, pays the price fully, gives us his righteousness so that he has died for his sheep. We receive his righteousness. He nurtures us. He cares for us in this life, 
leads us to green pastures here, but also eternal life as well. He brings us to himself without spot, without wrinkle. Now, uh, what is the result of Jesus dying for the church? Sanctification, glorification. And again, this should be applied to you as well. We want to think of, yes, that's wonderful for the church, but also acknowledge, hey, this is wonderful for me. He gave himself up for me. He obtained me by his blood. He is the great shepherd that has sanctified me and will bring me into glorification and guide me there, and I will never be lost. Uh, he is my great shepherd. So Jesus died for his church, his sheep. Uh, but how do you know if you're one of the sheep? We're going to get to that as well. Do you have faith in Christ? Do you have faith in Christ? If you have faith in Christ, this is vital that you have faith in the true Christ. As John has mentioned many times going through the book of John, some said they believed in Jesus, but then later we find out they did not abide in his word. They did not listen to him. They didn't continue on in him. They revealed they did not believe, all right? But if we consider like the man born blind, who you see Jesus for who he truly is, he is Lord, he is God, you worship him. This is true faith in the true Jesus Christ. If so, you can rest in knowing that your shepherd who died for you is the one who rose from the dead, continues to guide you, and will bring you into his presence for all of eternity. So it's a truth for the church, but it's also a wonderful personal truth to reflect on today. Uh, let's go over to John chapter 10 again. Look at verse 13. He continues on talking about the false shepherds, the false Jewish leaders that were in charge of the Jewish temple, in charge of the Jewish religion, who had been kicking out the good sheep as they did to the blind man. Verse 13, he says, He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. So the true sheep are known by Jesus. Jesus does know all things and all people, but also we see in verse 11 and verse 12 here that there's a very specific knowledge that Jesus is talking about when he speaks of this, I know my own and my own know me. And you can catch it if you just read it in context there, that obviously does, does Jesus know all people? And the answer would be yes, right? Does he, does, is he omniscient, all-knowing? Yes. Uh, but yet he's saying something interesting here. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. I may own know me. So he's speaking of possession of these sheep that he has. And his own sheep know him and they know him. And as we see when in, during this conversation, Jesus says the Pharisees are not listening to him. Why do they not listen to him? Because they are not his sheep. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. I want you to see how Jesus uses this, this word in this sense as well. So to know someone in the Bible is more than just mere knowledge of that person. Uh, it's very intimate. Uh, it's used in, in relationships in the Old Testament. Abraham knew Sarah, and they produced Isaac. All right? it's, 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 it's very intimate. And so when we see here that Jesus says, I know them and they know me, it's a very intimate knowledge here. Uh, look, at, look at Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then, he will, then will I declare to them, I am never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, according to this passage, did Jesus know these people? It's like, well, it, it seems, seems like it, right? Yeah. Did, did he know them? Well, yeah, because if you finish it, look at the end of verse 23, why does he tell them to depart? Because you're workers of lawlessness. So again, we see that he's not just talking about general knowledge here, like, Oh, hey, I didn't see you guys over there. Uh, my bad. I, I didn't know you, right? He's not saying that. He says, no, I, I knew you, and I know every single one of your sins. 
If you fast forward to the book of Revelation, uh, the dead are judged, the books are open, and each one is judged according to what is written in the books. No sin is forgotten. It's written. So he knew them in that way. He knows they're workers of lawlessness. So what does he mean by didn't ever knew you? It's going back to like we're talking about here in John 10. He, they do not, the Pharisees did not know him. They were not his sheep. They don't have that relationship with him. All right, another example. I, you can look this up or I'll read it for you. Amos chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. Well, listen to see how many pages are turning. None, okay. All right, Amos chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. Uh, another example of this kind of language. All right, knowing, knowing. Uh, Amos chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. All right, here's another good example of this. Uh, did, G, did God know of other nations? Or did he just not know? Was he unaware? Did he not see them? Did he not have knowledge of them? Or he's like, oh, I didn't see you guys. You were on the other side of the earth and I was over here or something, right? No, obviously not. So he knows all people. But yet here we have a special relationship, which is a given, if you know anything about the Old Testament, with Israel. It's a special, intimate relationship with them. So going back to... John chapter 10, uh, verses 12 and 13 there, we see that Jesus is knowing his sheep in that kind of a way. It is a very special, unique relationship. In verse 13, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, those whom he possesses, and my own know me. And we've talked about this before, but if you have believed in the gospel it is not by accident it is the sovereign work of god if you see your sin and you see the need for a savior and you see who jesus is uh and you've received this gospel you know jesus like you did not know jesus before there's a supernatural conversion that takes place where you acknowledge who jesus is rightly and god opened your eyes he regenerated you the old timey term for this is quickening that God made you alive, all right? And there is a knowledge, and now you know God. You know Jesus, and he knows you. And Jesus, your great shepherd, has done this. He has called you, and you know what you did? You came. And you know what you're going to do next? You're going to continue to strive with him, and you're going to rise with him because your shepherd laid down his life. He rose from the dead and brings you to himself. Look at verse 15, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 15. He goes on to say, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, I don't want to uh, lose this. Uh, go back and read verse 14 as well. Uh, with 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. There's a comma there. It continues, though. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, this is a tremendous source of comfort john 10 in general is just just a, a chapter that's packed with assurance of salvation eternal security preservation of the saints however you want to term this but the you see in the verse 14 and 15 that the relationship of the sheep to jesus is just as secure as the relationship between god the father and god the son this is amazing to think about if you are one of those who struggle with eternal security, have I lost my salvation? Have I not? Am I saved today? Am I unsaved today? Uh, or not? And you're, you're constantly worrying about such a thing. You need to settle. You need to ground yourself in the Word of God so that you can have strength to settle this once and for all. I do have faith in Christ. I do repent of sin. I am a sheep of God. I am in His flock. What does this mean? There's extreme security here in John 10 for you. Just look back at 14 again. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. I may own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Goodness. This is, a, this is, this is fantastic. And he lays down his life for the sheep, right? So 
this, this intimacy, this relationship that the flock has, the sheep has, that you have with Christ is secure on the same level as the relationship is from the Son to the Father and the Father to the Son. That is tremendous. And if you've struggled with eternal security for some time, rest in these passages today and next week as we continue through uh, John chapter 10 as well. Uh, look at verse 16. John chapter 10. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, again, one shepherd should draw your mind back to Ezekiel 34 that we started off uh, today's sermon with, right? God was going to provide one shepherd. Was he going to provide multiple shepherds for each nation or anything like that? No, there's going to be one shepherd. Now, who are the other sheep that are not of this fold that Jesus is referring to? Well, he's talking to the Jews at this moment. So you could kind of picture a pen full of Jewish uh, sheep, all right, Israelites. But he also says, I am, there are other sheep not of this fold, not of this pen, that he is going to bring them also to himself, and they will listen to his voice. So who is he talking about here? Well, you can picture another pen with you and I, who are not maybe from Israelite roots, all right? We would be Gentiles, uh, or Samaritans even. And so there are other, other nations, other tribes. In the, in the Jewish world, you really just had a split uh, between, they just said, hey, we're Israel, and everyone else in the entire world is Gentile, all right? Keep it easy. Uh, they also had the Samaritans, which were even worse, right, the, 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 in their mind. But... Uh, the, for the Israelites to, to think that God, the true shepherd, the Messiah, their Messiah, was going to come and call people from other uh, sheep pens to himself, this is, this, is, this is groundbreaking. Even though this is hinted at in the Old Testament uh, multiple times, uh, Genesis 12, 2 through 3, as God talked to Abraham, he said, And I will make you of, of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So even there we see in this Abrahamic covenant, God is saying through him, his seed, all of the nations are going to be blessed, not just the Jews, not just the Israelites. So it was hinted at, but was hinted at in the Old Testament, Jesus makes absolutely abundantly clear here. Israel, you are not exclusively all my sheep. In fact, your shepherds are not my sheep. Some of you are going to come out of that, the true sheep. When you're called, you're going to come. But it's not just Israelites. It is also Gentiles. It is also Samaritans. And if you open up the book of Acts, that's exactly what you see. It takes the Jews, it takes the apostles a long time to see this. And then finally, God has to supernaturally intervene, but they realize, whoa, even Samaritans are getting saved. Uh, even the Gentiles are getting saved. This is amazing through the exact same gospel. The same God, the same Savior, the same blood. It's all the same. And this, this, this is rev just amazing revelation to them. Uh, look over at Galatians 3. Two more passages to look up. Three or four. Who's counting? And then we'll be done with all the thumbing through. Well, look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. It's, and uh, we, we've looked at this multiple times, but it's good to acknowledge what, what Jesus is saying. Hey, I have sheep of other sheep pen, other flocks that I'm going to call to myself and create one. This is, this is those that the Father has given him. This is the flock of God. This is the church, those who are obtained by his blood. It is not a nation. It is the church. It's a new body, of a body of believers here. Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Know then that it is of those who of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations uh, be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now this is a... Pauline commentary on what I read earlier, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 through 3, that it is not, there is no genetic link. 
because parents are saved or a parent is saved, it does not automatically put their child into the sheep pen of God, but it is through faith, right? And that's the point here. There is no genetic link. That's what Jesus has been telling the Pharisees. That's what Paul is saying here in Galatia. It's not a genetic link. The link is faith. There must be faith in Jesus to be in the true family of Abraham. You see the same truth over in Ephesians 3, verse 4 through 6. Look over there real quick. Ephesians 3, verse 4 through 6. Ephesians 3, verse 4 through 6. And this is, this is just a beautiful passage because, again, it's speaking of the one flock that they are in now. No matter if they were Jews, like, uh, like Paul, right? He, kinda, he doesn't truly brag about, but he, he like, puts himself back in those shoes and tells, oh, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and I did this and that, and I was the Jew of Jews, the Israelite of Israelites, but all that was nothing. It doesn't matter at all. Because now I've been saved by grace. And, and that's what counts. But not only I, but all of you, Jew or Gentile, we're in one flock now. Now look what he says here in Ephesians 3, verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in er other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the, by the Spirit. This mystery, what is the mystery? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is what Jesus is talking about over here in John chapter 10, uh, verse 14, 15, 16. He is saying that there's sheep of other pens. I'm going to call them out. There's going to be one flock. There's going to be one shepherd. Everything is the same. The same promises. Uh, there in verse 6, the partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel are they exactly the same for the, for the most Israelite of Israelites to the scummiest in their mind, Samaritan, all right, to the Gentile. Now they're under the same flock, same sheep pen. Blood has covered them, forgiven them. They are sanctified. They will be glorified all the same. And look what he says in chapter 6, members of the same body. What is that same body? This is the body that Jesus is going to shed his blood for that he is also going to call to himself, that he is going to raise up as well. I'll quickly get to verse 17, back there in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. He goes on to say, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And we're not going to go into great detail on this, these remaining passages. I think it's a, a common knowledge that Jesus' death was not an accident. It was a purpose dent. I know it's not a real word. I use it frequently, though. Uh, it is absolutely on purpose, right? We looked at this in the last couple of weeks over in, in, in Acts where God's sovereignty is exalted through all of this. And Jesus even announces how he is going to die. He, he dies in exact fulfillment of these Old Testament feasts. Everything is perfectly laid out. He is going to intentionally lay his life down. Others will try to take his life from him multiple times, but they can't until it is his time to die, and he lays his life down for the sheep. Going on to verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why, Jesus, why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so here we find again, this is common throughout the book of John, there is division on who Jesus is. Uh, they all acknowledge that his name is Jesus. They, can, they know that. And, and there's a lot here we can take with us today as well. Many people in our day say they believe in Jesus. But what do they believe about Jesus? Do they believe in the true Jesus as portrayed through the book of John? Or are they creating their own version of Jesus? Some people said that Jesus was insane. Some people said that Jesus, God in the flesh, actually had a demon, right? But then others, at least, were connecting the right dots here. Because supernatural signs are not accompanied unless God is giving them that sign. 
That's what we see with Moses. That's what we see with Elijah. That's what we see with Elisha as well. And that's what we see with Jesus. So in verse 21, some people are like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can a demon open the eyes of a man born blind? Uh, this is pointing to something different than what you're saying. Uh, would God authenticate, validate an insane man to perform this miracle? We don't have any record of that happening. Uh, we don't have any record of God allowing a demon to open the, a man's eyes before. Maybe there's something more to this Jesus. So he kind of leaves it hanging there, all right? The confusion of the people, the division of the people. All right, in summary, the fact that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is our shepherd as the church should bring great comfort to us today. But don't miss this. It should bring you personally great comfort today. He knows you. He cares for you. He guides you through life. He died for you, rose the dead for, from the dead for you, and will sanctify you and bring you fully into glorification. This is our shepherd. This is your shepherd, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son, the great shepherd, to care for our needs when no one else could. That he has indeed cared for us, nurtured us, has died for us, risen from the dead, called us to himself, so that we hear the beauty of the gospel, that we cannot be saved by what we do, but by what Jesus has done. We see the beauty of that gospel. We see that as wonderful, good news. We see our sin. We repent. We have faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation. God, and we, we thank you that you have done that, that you have brought us to yourself. You have called us to yourself. We have come, and we will rise. This life is over in a matter of years, but that we have eternal life that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus, by our great shepherd who laid down his life to die for us, but rose from the dead to go before us and it will take us to be with him. And it's in his name we pray.